You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. Um, hopefully, uh, you're having an okay week. Um, hopefully, uh, where you're living, think you're staying safe and things along those lines. Uh, here in, in, in Iowa, just uh, talking to uh, to my partner, Jake, that we just got blasted with snow, so we're kind of <laughs> digging our way out, but 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 things are going okay. So, uh, again, welcome to Game Changers. Please, uh, if you get a chance, uh, head on over to where you get your podcast, uh, hit that like like button, uh, subscribe to us. Also, uh, please head over to our producer, CE Impact. Uh, they are uh, the producers of tons of great CE, including, of course, this this uh, program. And for a, a, a very, very reasonable fee, you actually get CE for the simple uh, 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 fact of listening to my voice once a week and and uh, uh, punching in a, a few things in, on a website. And voila, you get some CE. Uh, this coming week, we have uh, uh, the CEI's uh, Impact uh, uh, Expo, which is, uh, I've been very honored to, to speak at for years. It's terrific. Uh, tons of great programming for all pharmacists and all walks of, of, of practice. So please head over, check out uh, the expo, check out uh, what you can sign up for. Uh, and we're actually going to be, uh, myself and Jake will be doing a, uh, a, a gigantic uh, COVID uh, thing next week. So uh, hopefully that'll, that'll work as well. So today, however, we are going to be talking about uh, smoking cessation, which uh, even though I'm an inpatient pharmacist, I have to admit is an issue near and dear to my heart, not because I smoke, as I know, and I was fortunate enough not, 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 not to fall into that, but because I, during my residency training, I uh, was fortunate enough to go through the University of Pittsburgh smoking cessation program. They had all our residents go through that program and um, I uh, loved it. And, uh, and I was, I was blown away by, by, you know, the, the, the relatively simple yet, yet impactful things that a smoking cessation counselor do can, that, that can help uh, smoke uh, smokers qu- uh, quit smoking. And, and uh, right around that same time, uh, a, a pharmacist from uh, the University of, of Missouri named Larry Dent published a, a pretty good paper that looked at smoking cessation clinic in in a community pharmacy. So so and and found that 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 it was successful in keeping people off cigarettes. So uh, smoking cessation has always been near dear to my heart. So when the new uh, U.S. Uh, Preventative Task Force came out with their updated guidelines for smoking cessation, uh, um, I definitely read through them. And while there isn't a ton of new stuff, I don't think there's been a a, a ton of new uh, research that's come out in smoking cessation in the last 12, 24 months. Uh, it, I think it does. This is a, a great time to, to take a second, go to that website and kind of page through it. Certainly if you're a community pharmacist, I think that that there are fewer uh, uh, clinics easier to start in a community pharmacy than a smoking cessation clinic because many of the, uh, the therapies are over the counter now, of course, with the most of the nicotine replacement therapy that you're going to use. And really the big thing you need to, to, to have is time, which of course, as we all know, especially in community pharmacy is, 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 a, is a very valuable resource. But if you can set aside some time to sit down and talk to patients, you can actually make, make a huge impact with, with actually, uh, of, you know, multiple small, uh, uh, sessions with them, uh, just five, 10 minutes and, and, and teaching them the tools to stay off cigarettes. You can be very, very successful. And, you know, if smokers are willing to pay for aromatherapy and acupuncture and all this other stuff, you know, uh, and, and insurances aren't going to pay for that, uh, you know, they're willing to pay cash in the barrel head for that. I think, uh, you can probably uh, find, see your way to, to, to even 
even, you know, making this a cash paying thing, not having to go through insurance or anything along those lines. So, so, you know, before you get started into uh, throwing out your shingle saying, you know, uh, stop smoking now, ask me how, uh, you know, you do need to know what you're kind of up against. Uh, as anyone who's ever tried to sm- uh, quit smoking will tell you, it, it is pretty difficult. Um, um, a study suggests that, that, uh, that the quit rate for people who just gold cold Turkey, who just, you know, one day take a look at the, uh, the, uh, uh, pack of cigarettes and looks at the warning for the first time and goes, Oh my goodness, these things are bad for you. I didn't, I didn't realize they were bad for you. Uh, and they just stop smoking right then. Uh, they're quit rated one year. And, and, and that's what most clinicians will, will use as, as kind of the benchmark for truly being cigarette free or nicotine free is, is, is no cigarettes at one year, uh, is only 3%. And so, uh, you know, uh, multiple studies have shown that you, that you have, you have to, you have to try and quit, you know, multiple times uh, to, to do it. And, 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 and cold Turkey is, 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 is difficult to do even with the most effective, uh, um, pharmacotherapy we have, uh, you know, when your quit rates are only in the 20 to 35% range. And so it is very, very challenging. And, and I think points to the fact that, that, uh, smoking cessation and, and, and the guidelines point, point this out is, is really as much or more about, uh, psychological counseling than it is about, about, uh, pharmacotherapies. And that's probably an area where I, I think certainly younger pharmacists who are trained in motivational interviewing and, and, and health coaching are probably much more comfortable than an old man like me. Um, but, but I think more veteran pharmacists, you know, might like, well, I, you know, I, I counseling, I can't do that. And the, and, and what I learned in the, in the university of Pittsburgh program is you absolutely can. Um, um, this, this is not, you know, Freudian psychology or anything. It's literally giving people tools like things like diversion therapy, where, uh, you know, uh, people who smoke tend to smoke a lot in their cars and, and that's become part of their routine as they're driving to and from work. How do you fix that? Take the cigarettes out of the car, clean the car. So it doesn't smell like cigarettes where you had cigarettes, have some sugar-free gum, or candy or something along those lines, take a different route to work so that you have, you have to think about how you're going to get there. Um, I, I, I always, when I talk about this with my students, I usually, I usually point out that most of us have driven to work or school so many times that we could do so in our sleep and we probably have at some point in our lives. And, and, and so smoking becomes part of that automatic behavior as, as, as you're, as you're, as you're, um, uh, driving to work or school. And so, you know, yeah, diversion therapy is, is, is a very effective therapy at, at, at doing that. So that's just one example of, of, of some of the many psychological tools and you don't need to sit down. You don't need to have somebody sit on a couch and tell you about your mother or anything like that. I mean, really, these are just simple, simple things to say, okay, let's talk about, you know, how many cigarettes did you have today? What's your, level of, of craving, how many times, you know, uh, you know, did you almost get a cigarette? What were some of the things that, that were happening? What were going, what was kind of, what were you thinking when it was happening? What was the situation? And when that situation occurs again, how can we keep, you know, make you go, I don't need a cigarette today. And, and, and it can, you can be very successful at that. So, um, I would, uh, you know, if you're going to throw out your shingle, definitely get some training in this, uh, the American lung association for many years has had, uh, uh kind of train the trainer stuff. They actually will train, uh, uh, healthcare providers of all stripes, uh, uh, on some of these tools and, and they have workshops, you know, very frequently, I would assume in the, uh, post COVID world, when we get back to normal, that'll happen again, where they'll be able to have these, these, uh, um, uh, uh, workshops and, and it's, it's a, you know, a one or two day thing, uh, and, and pretty affordable. So, so something I've really considered doing, but of course, being pharmacists and, and, and other clinicians, the other thing we're thinking about is, is, uh, pharmacotherapy for smoking cessation. And the studies are clear that, that the pharmacotherapy for smoking cessation does augment and, and help quit rates. So, you know, we, what are we talking about and, and what, do, what do the, the task force guidelines talk about? Um, the, I think obviously from an over the counter standpoint, the thing that we talk a lot about, of course, is, is, 
um, um, uh, nicotine replacement therapy uh, when I came out of school. And, and even now there's, there's, you know, some, some, you know, kind of rarely used forms of nicotine replacement therapy, like uh, the, the nasal inhaler, you know, and, and the oral, the oral inhaler, which, you know, back in the day, you know, really, you know, kind of looked like, I, I think it's kind of become what, what, what vaping pens are now kind of look like a plastic cigarette, you know, and I don't know the, some of the more veteran listeners may remember the commercials they used to have for it, where the guy's driving around in a convertible smoking a plastic cigarette, which to me made him look like an idiot, but Hey, you know, that's just me. Um, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about nicotine replacement therapy, I think we're thinking more of the over the counter stuff, which means, you know, patch gum and lozenges, I think, I think are, are, are really what you're looking at. The beauty of them is they're over the counter in most places. Uh, many States, including my own actually have a, a standing public health order for pharmacists to be able to dispense and, and counsel patients on them. So that's kind of nice as well. Um, when do you use which, um, and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but generally the, the thought is, and, and I think, I think some evidence bears this out that that combination therapy of, of, uh, the patch and, uh, the gum or the patch and the lozenge is probably superior, especially in heavy smokers to just one modality by itself. Um, uh, a way a mentor of mine said it, it's all, it's almost like, it's almost like nic- it's almost like a opioid therapy where the nicotine patch gives you basal nicotine levels and then the gum or the lozenge gives you, you know, bolus levels when they're feeling bad craving, you know? Um, and I think that's, that, that's a way to go. And I think there's evidence that shows that that combination approach, again, especially in heavy smokers, um, is, 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 uh, reasonable to do. There's always some concern, I think about overdosing patients with nicotine. Um, and, um, I, I, I always hasten to point out that, you know, if somebody's a pack a day smoker and that's 20 cigarettes in a pack and, uh, you know, there, the numbers are always kind of up in the air, but I think it's generally thought that every cigarette delivers between one and three milligrams of, of nicotine to the brain. So, you know, let, let's shoot for the middle and say two, two times 20 is 40 milligrams a day of nicotine that the person is already getting. And so probably a 21 milligram patch plus, you know, th- three or four, uh, uh, pieces of gum a day is not going to be anywhere near to where the patient has, is already re- really living. So I've not been all that concerned about overdosing patients on nicotine. Certainly if they complain of a lot of nausea, that can be your first early clue that maybe they're getting a little too much nicotine. You may need to back off. Um, the other thing that I've, I've often seen is, is we often, you know, tell, have patients taper their, their nicotine replacement therapy. So, you know, I, again, more veteran listeners may remember the old Nicoderm commercials where the lady was like walking off the gigantic, uh, uh patches, the power to calm comfort and cure, I think was, was, was their catchphrase. Um, and would go down from 21 to 14 to seven. You actually don't need to do that. Patients can be on 21 milligrams of, of nicotine for as long as they want to be basically, you know? Um, so, so, you know, if they want to taper, that's fine. If they don't want to taper and, and feel like they might relapse if they do so, that's perfectly fine as well. So, um, you know, uh, certainly if someone's a, a very light smoker, you know, a half a pack or, or less a day, you might start at 14, but, but again, I, you know, a pack or day or more, most of these patients are going to need at least a 21 milligram patch and then probably some bolus nicotine on top of it in the form of gums or, or lozenges. Um, uh, uh, I will, I will tell you that, that, that the gum, they actually made us taste the gum back in, in the day when, when, when I went through the university of Pittsburgh program and not only did it give me an immediate terrible headache, it was, it tasted horrible. Um, uh, and, and I know that there's like orange flavors and stuff like that, but I can't imagine that mass the flavor all that well. So, so, you know, be advised that, that your patients may say they don't like the taste of the stuff very well. And I think that's just that, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I get it, but you know, it's, it's still better than a cigarette basically. Uh, 
Um, you know, so, so nicotine replacement therapy is I th- I th- uh, certainly a, a reasonable agent, I think, and, and the U.S. Uh, uh, preventative uh, task force guidelines recommended as a first line agent for, 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 for smoking cessation. Um, if that doesn't work or isn't well tolerated, then you can move on to more systemic therapies. Uh, and of course, the two are, are bupropion and varinicline. Uh, bupropion has a, has a long history of use in, in, in treating uh, uh, um, uh, uh, nicotine addiction. Of course, it works because it blocks uh, dopamine and dopamine is one of the main uh, receptors in the pleasure centers of the brain. And so basically when you're taking bupropion, you lose the reward for smoking. And I don't know about you. I've had patients tell me that, you know, they say, isn't that the drug that makes the cigarettes taste terrible? And I'm like, well, no, probably the cigarettes always tasted bad. You just weren't paying attention because you were getting the reward when you were smoking. So um, I, you know, I'm, I'm unaware that, that it actually makes cigarettes taste differently, but, but it certainly removes the reward for smoking. And so it turns, you know, this little, lift this little buddy of mine who gives me a little lift in the morning when I get up in the morning or when I'm under stress to, uh, um, um, you know, this, you know, smoke, smoking piece of weed in my mouth. What am I doing? This tastes terrible sort of thing. The key piece then is, is that, you know, most patients need to be smoking when they start bupropion so they know they're not getting a reward for it. So like in my, in the hospital setting where I work, you know, I've occasionally had residents say, well, I have a patient who's really interested in quitting smoking. Maybe we should start bupropion on them. And that never made a whole lot of sense to me because you can't smoke in the hospital. So how would they know they're not getting a reward for it? So, um, I, I think, you know, you, you should start a, a quit date about, uh, uh, start your, set your quit date about two weeks after being on the bupropion and then, and then, uh, uh try and stop from there. Again, studies show anywhere from kind of a 20 to 30 percent um, uh, 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 one-year quit rate. Uh, some issues with the program that most people, I think, are pretty aware of. It, it does tend to make people bounce off the wall. So, you know, insomnia, nervousness can be can be a common issue with it. It does blunt the weight gain in most cases that patients get from from um, a, a smoking station. It is true that some people gain weight when they quit smoking, though the average amount of weight that most people gain is only around five pounds. And so I think sometimes uh, smokers may, may, you know, say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to gain a ton of weight and then get diabetes. I mean, what's the whole point of that? Well, you know, that's not going to happen. And, and, uh, I actually attended a, a, a seminar once that were, were, or a, a smoking station counselor said that really you'd have to gain over a hundred pounds to equal this, this, the, uh, uh, the, uh, um, health risk of, of, of smoking. So five or 10 pounds is, is still going to be an overall and net benefit for the patient's health. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you do want to be careful because, uh, bupropion does lower the seizure threshold, and that's probably the most feared side effect to be appropriate on. Um, uh, so obviously, probably would want to give it to patients who have a seizure disorder. Uh, you wouldn't be, I would be cautious in patients who've had a history of head trauma, big stroke, stuff like that, because they're at higher risk. Um, I, you know, uh, you know, try to avoid an alcohol, alcohol uh, abusers as well. I, I know that's kind of plus minus. I, I think there is some evidence out there saying that it's probably relatively safe in, in those patients, but, but many of the internists I work with, you know, uh, try not to use it in those patients just because, again, the risk of, of increased seizure threshold or decreased seizure threshold, excuse me, uh, anorexics and bulimics because they're they're at a higher risk as well. And then, you know, as pharmacists, the other thing we have to do is, is make sure we are not piling on drugs on patients that lower the seizure threshold. And the, 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 the big, big offender I see there is tramadol. Um, I, you know, I, I really counsel my uh, physicians to try to avoid the combination of tramadol and bupropion if at all possible. Uh, we've actually had uh, several cases of new onset seizures with that 
combination in my hospital in the last several years. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not a figment of somebody's imagination or, or a, you know, a theoretical, uh, uh, interaction. It's, it's the real deal. And I've definitely seen it. So, um, I do try to avoid uh, that combo if at all possible. Sometimes it is impossible, but, but, but if at all possible, try to avoid that combination. Baronicline, of course, is a partial nicotinic agonist and, um, um, it's it's an interesting drug because it's it's a nicotinic antagonist in, in the central nervous system and a nicotinic agonist in the periphery. Um, and so the theory was always that it might be even more effective at bupropion in taking away that that uh, um, uh, reward that you get. But it it may help blunt some of the the peripheral manifestations of withdrawal. That latter really didn't 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 uh, uh, hold up in clinical trials. Uh, people who are on baronicline do have withdrawal about the same rate as everybody else does. But it seems to be even more effective effective than, than bupropion in helping people quit. And, and again, the USP, uh, USPTF guidelines basically say that, 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 you know, baronicline is probably the most effective agent at, at, uh, uh, helping people stay off cigarettes. Um, it, 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 it does have some, uh, interesting adverse effects, uh, just like bupropion, you do need to, you know, start the drug when you're smoking so that you're aware that you're not going to be getting the, the, the reward for smoking. So keep that in mind. Nausea is pretty common when you start the medication. Um, and, and, and that's why you need to titrate it up slowly. Uh, uh, probably the the biggest side effect people complain about are vivid dreams, not necessarily nightmares, but but, but very very vivid dreams. Um, so so that's something you definitely warn patients about. Uh, when the drug first came out, many and I remember this, you know, it, it did get a boxed warning for increased risks of depression and suicidality, and uh, that made it you know really difficult to use in patients uh, who have pre existing unipolar or bipolar depression, which is you know challenging because many of those patients do smoke, and you you might want to use them, you know, and use that drug in those patients. Uh, but then a large study uh, from the VA uh, came out, uh, it's been now five or six years ago, uh, that basically said that they their their own study did not find a significant re uh, increased risk of suicidality in these patients. And so the FDA has actually removed that boxed warning. So that's kind of nice. Um, I, I, again, I'm not saying that, that, that there's zero risk there, but I, I, it's, I think it, it does uh, open up the, the use of this medication to patients that I think when the drug first came out, you wouldn't be able to use it in. Um, it's big. Uh, handicap, of course, is it's still extremely pricey, and and uh, I know insurance coverage is always challenging with it. But again, USP uh, PDF does point out that that it it is the uh, uh, probably the most effective drug for for smoking cessation. Um, and then finally, right before we before we kind of sign off, uh, briefly discussing electronic cigarettes. Um, there was that study that came out in 2019 uh, that was a randomized uh, study that looked at electronic cigarettes uh, um, uh, for uh, tobacco cessation. So basically stopping uh, cigarette smoking and basically going to electronic cigarettes or vaping. Um, it was a British study that did find, probably not surprisingly, that people who uh, um, uh, switched over to electronic cigarettes actually were uh, and, and had even more success than baronicline than stopping cigarettes. So then the $64 question comes up, well, you know, does that mean electronic cigarettes are safe? And I think the answer to that question is largely we don't know. Um, you know, it stands to reason that that you know, since you're not actually you know smoking a combustible product, that that a lot of the carcinogens and tars that are in uh, tobacco cigarettes aren't going to be in electronic cigarettes, obviously. Um, but the bottom line is we're not going to know for another two decades whether these patients, uh, whether these whether people who vape are at increased risk of lung cancer and other cancers compared to to to, to controls. Um, you know, we know that nicotine in and of itself 
does have vascular effects. So, you know, you know, just switching over to, to vaping pens, will, will that, will that, you know, decrease your risk of, of coronary disease and strokes and stuff like that? Again, a lot of this kind of remains to be seen. So I think the, uh, the, the guidelines talk about how the, the real goal should be complete nicotine, um, abstention. And I, and I think that's the, 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 the absolute goal, but I have also heard experts in this field say that if they absolutely just can't get somebody off of, of, of cigarettes, no matter what they try, and they've, they've rotated through all these other therapies we've talked about that, you know, it, it, that the, the, the per, per, pervading theory right now is it's probably reasonable to switch them because it probably is a, a safer than, than smoking a combustible product. But again, it's, you know, we don't really know that and we really won't know for, for several years. So again, you know, these guidelines are, are pretty interesting. As you can tell, it's something I'm, I'm pretty interested in, even as an inpatient pharmacist, but uh, head on over, you can read them for free. Uh, we'll leave a, we'll leave a, uh, a link in the, in the show notes uh, uh, and, and, and just check them out and see what you think. And certainly if, if you're interested in, in uh, uh, starting a, a, a nicotine uh, or a, a smoking station clinic as a community pharmacy, um, I think that's something that that's certainly worth discussing. And, and you can certainly say that you've got evidence on your side suggesting that, that you can do that. So, so we'll wrap things up here in just a bit, but first a word from our sponsor, CEI. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So, uh, you know, smoking cessation. I've I've often said that 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 uh, pharmacists could do more to help patients quit smoking than all the inhalers we dispense for them. Um, I, you know, you can really really save somebody's life this way. And and you know, it's not saving somebody's life like you're you know you know diving in front of a car to push them out of the way or something. It's 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 not going to be an, an immediate satisfaction. It's it's the fact that you might they may dodge lung cancer, they may dodge heart attacks, they may dodge you know all these other things and be able to see their grandkids go to high school or anything along those lines. And so, um, uh, it's something that it's a, it's an incredibly important public health measure. And, and I think, uh, you know, pharmacists as well as all other healthcare providers, you know, do need to pay more attention and how we can help these people, uh, you know, uh, stay tobacco free as, as much as they can. So anyway, that's it for this uh, episode. Thanks again for listening, head over to where you get your podcasts, hit that like button, uh, subscribe, please. And head over to see impact. Uh, we will catch you next week. Thanks again for listening. And remember time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care.